Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, hone your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, how to build. Very simply, to build means to make by putting together parts or materials. And on this episode of Camera Ready and Able, we are discussing how to do that with Lauren Milan, who is a brand strategist, change agent, and marketing maverick. Lauren is also a master builder who is a prolific investor and advisor and CEO of Digital Undivided, the leading nonprofit leveraging data programs and advocacy to catalyze economic growth for Black and Latinx women, entrepreneurs and innovators with the mission to create a greater world in which all women of color own their work and worth. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me, Barbara. I am thrilled to be here with you. I'm thrilled um, to have you here. And thank you for the generous introduction. <laughs> wow, I am so impressed with the wildly diverse background and all the, that you bring to the party. So I want to start with, because it was in your bio, from your first lemonade stand, to modeling in France and South America, to working in the wine business before getting your degree from FIT and becoming a mom. So my first question was, when did you realize you were good at building things and that building things is a thing? Oh, goodness. I think I've always believed that I could achieve my dreams. I've always believed that I could create the pathways to achieve the things that were important to me. Uh, and so I think that from a very young age, I always deeply believed in my ability to build, mm. my ability to find resources, to execute on ideas, to implement strategies. Uh, I think in many ways, in many respects, a lot of what were the difficult parts of my childhood have made adulthood a lot easier. And that certainly includes building. So as a Black woman, I've grown up with parents who grew up in segregated times. And so my whole life, I was told I had to work two times, if not three times harder than everyone else, just as a baseline. And so I think that's forced me to always build and also to always build myself up in order to achieve the things that I want in life. So when you're talking about that, were you, is this also just part of your own nature? to have that self-belief because that's really powerful. Most of us don't have that. And were you getting also those messages either at home, which is again, incredible blessing and, or because this obviously culture at large was not giving you that message, but I didn't know, you know, did you grow up with a, a strong spiritual or religious background where you're getting some of that? Was there community around you? Cause these are really important elements is think about what makes a difference for the, the fact that you said you always felt that, which I think is incredible. I think I grew up um, with really deep values. I grew up with the values of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But with the caveat that as a Black woman, I was always going to have to do more than others to achieve even what they could by doing less. Mm -hmm. And so those two have always sat side by side for me my entire life. And so, you know, a lot of people can be annoyed, mad, upset that the bar is higher for women or people of color. I've always known that to be the case. And I think I've always known that the expectation is going to be multiplied on me uh, as opposed to someone else. But I think that over the years, I've refined really great strategies to building and building at scale that allow 300% to be my baseline, but takes me the same time that it takes somebody else to deliver 100%. So I look more at output than anything else. 
but going back to those values, I did not grow up necessarily deeply religious, though I was baptized twice, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> baptized twice and christened once. Um, my mom through divorce thought that my parents divorce, I should be baptized again, and I should be cleansed another time. <laughs> but, um, and you know, and I grew up going to church, but much the way that I raise my children, you know, they are aware of our religion as Christians and what those values are, but we are more spiritual than we are religious and we are more faithful um, than we are fearful in life. Mm. And I think that that shines through in everything I do and in the way that I approach the world and the way that I raise my children and the way that I look at building. There's a saying that I wrote in my book back in 2014 in the path redefined. And I said, you know, with every big opportunity and big question in life, I always ask myself a simple question, which is, is it worth it even if I fail? And if that answer is yes, I go ahead full steam. And so I don't often worry about and have that fear of failing because I've already decided in my decision calculus that obviously failure is always an option. It is always a possibility or a probability but I'm not gonna to succumb to those thoughts that can be paralyzing, especially if I know that what I'm going to learn along the way, whether I win or succeed is worth the experience all in all. Wow, I'm marinating on all of this. I think I'm gonna do my, I, I was so lucky that I get to stop and listen to my podcast over and over again while we go through the editing process because that was, uh, wow, Lauren. I wanna come back to a lot of that and part of what you talked about in terms of strategy, but I'm also just, broadly interested in the notion of transferable skills because you didn't start business-wise where you are now, right? You have to start with your lemonade stand, which is fantastic. But in the fashion business as a model and getting a degree from FIT and then even for a while there in the wine business, but I'm sure that there are things you learned along the way. So are there intersections of things that you learned from that period of your life that plays into this when you decide? Because what I want to get to is how'd you go from there to where you are now? Uh, well, that I will give you that answer first. How I've gone from there to where I am now is being myself. And I've always shown up as myself. And I think the world has finally caught up. It's not that I have caught up to the world. But you had to make I, decisions along the way. I mean, that's the one thing to say, uh, start in one business and then go, no, you know what? I am an entrepreneur. And I'm going to start building things. Because that's what I'm curious is like to when that shift happens. I've always wanted to build. I've always been good at building. And I've always believed that I can build anything I want. And I've never been confined by titles, um, categories, buckets, the world's expectations, stereotypes, biases. Uh, I've kind of rejected it all. And I could have never imagined that this is exactly where I would end up. But I also think that my approach to every industry I have been in has been unique and has been innovative at that moment in time. And so I think that the commonalities for me are in how I work, not what I do. And I think that for a lot of people, they wanna have a career being known to do something. I'm, I'm known for how I work and the way in which I achieve outcomes, which is as a change agent or as a marketing maverick or a maverick in general or an innovator and before people gave me those titles, it was jack of all trades, it was multi-hyphenate, it was a bunch of other things. But for me, I'm not 
you know, my some areas of my career, I'm a generalist and some areas of my career, um, you know, over time, I think what started as a as being a generalist has allowed me to have very deep subject matter expertise now in a few important areas. But those few important areas years ago used to be very bifurcated categories, industries, roles, descriptions, what have you. Whereas now all of a sudden it's called innovation or it's called CSR or it's called, um, you know, I'm seeing this new role pop up recently I was recruited for an opportunity at a very large company to be a CRO. And that was not a chief revenue officer, although I get hit up and asked to be chief revenue officer, chief partnership officer, chief strategy officer, chief branding officer, chief marketing officer. But in this particular instance, the CRO was a chief relationship officer. Mm. Uh, and so I think I'm known to be a change agent. I'm known to be a turnaround person and I can turn around anything. I'd never in my life been a nonprofit leader until I got to Digital Undivided. And you know, I just celebrated my two-year anniversary this week at the organization as CEO. I used to chair our board of directors. This is an organization where my qualifications came by my passion for the work and our mission, not because I had worked in nonprofit, not because I had worked in CSR, certainly not because I was a DEI expert, but I was a DEI expert based upon my lived experience as a black woman who'd been a single mom, who's a three-time founder, who's a working woman, um, whose parents have, have grown up telling me nothing but stories of the injustice that they survived in order to get where we are, but then to realize that we're not that much further. So my lived experience, just as Lauren Mylan, a human being, qualified me for those areas of the role as a board director. And I then served as chair of our board for three years at Digital Undivided. And it was my unexpected COVID job to be unanimously appointed to serve as CEO. And I didn't know how I was going to do, to be honest. It is actually why the role was announced as interim. A lot of people think that, you know, the org didn't know if they wanted me or not. No, I, I was adamant about that press release going out as interim because I didn't know if A, I was going to do well at this as a job and B, I didn't really know what I was in for. And I wanted the opportunity to have that flexibility if it wasn't the right fit and to keep my reputation intact because I don't pop in and just pop out often. I pop in, I come in, I build, I create, I scale, I make things better. And I often stay around in, in a strategic role of some kind or sell a company or you know, make an exit in a, in a different way. And, um, and when it came to Digital Undivided, I, like as I said, I'd never done this before, but I knew how to turn around a company. I didn't know how much of startup entrepreneurial business approach that's worked for me to take things from idea to execution to successful exit, I could employ in a nonprofit structure. But now you look up and two years later, I've suddenly added nonprofit leader, nonprofit executive to my resume. But again, it's not what I'm doing. And it's how I do it. And I think it's, it's that I've come in and I've turned around this organization and provided 400% growth across revenue, 3.5 times growth in terms of our team in less than 24 months. But that's what I've always done. I'm a doer, I'm a fixer, I'm a change agent, I'm a way maker. And I think it's, it's a skill set that I am really, really, really good at that can apply to a variety of industries where I've already had some experience. And I think that we are also moving into a time and a place in the world and in the workplace 
where people also don't really care as much as they used to about if you have washed, rinsed, repeat in their backyard or in their particular industry. It's like, hey, you did that in startups, you did that in wine, you did that in marketing, you did that for Fortune 100 companies, you helped advise the F1 Walmart doing the same thing around innovation, then you went and did it in the nonprofit world. Now I get head up to do things in completely different industries that I'm not necessarily well-versed in, but learning that industry is also not that difficult, but learning how to flex the skills that I have to turn something around is. And so I just think that in life and career, everyone needs to decide, do they want to be known for their skills or do they want to be known for subject matter expertise? And very rarely do you do both. That gives you the latitude and the flexibility and the autonomy to move around in the ways that I have been able to explore um, passions and areas. But I think that that is the secret sauce for me. That's what I want to get into deeper for my listeners, because I really, really like this. It's like the how I work aspect of that. And one thing I heard a few minutes ago was you ask different, maybe better questions, because that was incredible that you're asking yourself, would I do it? Is it, is it valuable to do even if failure is a possibility? And you said, yes, that's like, okay, wow. So this is what I want to get at. It's like identifying either what is your skill set or what, what are you, what are you asking or what are you doing differently that leads to such successful turnaround? Because for the listeners, I want the takeaway to be like how we can translate that and apply that to our own lives. Even if we're turning around our own stagnant careers or, or, you know, a feeling of like being stuck or not reaching our personal revenue goals. Uh, I think a lot of it for me is listening observing. I'm very analytical. Uh, I'm also very opinionated, respectfully so, but I look at how people move and I look at the skills, experiences, and abilities of people who are working with me. Um, This is the first time in my career that I've inherited a team because, you know, before this, uh, as a founder, I've always built teams, you know, from scratch versus here at Digital Undivided, I have inherited a team. And I had to really kind of triage that and look at who was working where and why and what their experiences were. Uh, But I looked past their resume. I looked at how they were working. I looked at how quickly they were responding. I looked at how they thought, what their thought process was. I looked at, did they thrive getting big ideas from me and then going to work asynchronously? Or did they really need step-by-step, play-by-play, you know, SOP type instruction? Were they more creative? Were they more strategic? Were they more tactical, um, what was needed and where. And then I look at people's interest and appetite. I think you can identify people who have all sorts of talent and something that you might want them to do that they have no interest in doing, (laughs) right? And so then that's not helpful. Uh, So you have to understand what is motivating the people around you. And this is the same uh, approach that I employ with my family at home, with my children, with my husband, with my mother, with my parents, with my father, my I don't have any siblings with my cousins and all of the above. I'm, you know, looking at always how to optimize talent and to keep people in what I call their zone of genius, which to me is always being in your stretch zone. So I don't believe that we should ever be so comfortable that we're just like, no, 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 no. Like I think everyone should be in their stretch zone. You should be pushed just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And I think if you consistently push folks a little bit outside of their comfort zone, you're able to turn a lot around. Um, And it's not always, you know, possible with just people. I look at systems. I look at 
you know, where are their bottlenecks? Where is their white space? Where can things be done better? Where's their opportunity? Where's their synergy for growth, for revenue growth, for partnerships, for teams, for building, for building capacity, for building interest, for building brand awareness. It's a multi-pronged model that is kind of my approach to change and transformation. First of all, I'm a hundred percent hard caring believer in the zone of genius. And it's a, it's a uh, part of the work that I do you know, as a media coach and uh, executive coach with clients, what do you wish you knew then that you know now, going back to the beginning for you or at any point? Mm -hmm. mm, this is the subject of a much larger project that I'm working on, but uh, I wish I would have known that everything will be okay. And I wish I would have known how good everything could have ended up. Um, I don't think that there was a guarantee, so I'll say could, not would. Mm -hmm. because I've blown my own mind with where my career has taken me, you know, opportunities, travels, financially, just across the spectrum. Um, our life is a miracle in many ways for a lot of different reasons. And I think that's the hardest thing when you are in life challenges is to know and believe that things will be okay. And I feel as though I actually could be even further along than I am today. And I'm really proud of where I am, but I actually think I spent a lot of time, especially in my divorce and those years of single motherhood, paralyzed by uncertainty, fear, depression, anxiety, a lot of things that I redirected energies in that direction that I could have or should have redirected into myself. Maybe I would have gone to business school. Maybe I would have done something else instead of wallowing, you know, in my kitchen and running to <laughs> running to court all the time. And, you know, but it's hard. It's easier, much, much, much easier to say once you have come out of the other side. But I think that what kept you I going? It, yeah. But when I, it's, it's keep going, but keep going with a confidence that you will succeed. And of course, and how I'm did you, how did you tap into that? Where did that come from? I didn't tap into it. That's the problem. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. I'd be further ahead if I had. Um, I think I'd be I'd have even more things under my belt, probably in maybe one more company, maybe five more clients, maybe a couple more dollars in the bank. I don't know. But I know that I spent time and energy, and I'm still guilty of it at some points today, even worried about things that were not entirely in my control. And I think that, that there are so many lessons that I learned in those difficult parts of my life that have allowed me to very successfully flex muscles that most other people don't have. So now let's say when COVID hits, everyone was freaked out. Oh my God, it's, you know, there's no guarantee. Where's my paycheck? Where's the, where's the certainty? Where's the consistency? Oh my God, there is none. But I was someone who had never had a paycheck anyway my whole life. Never, never had a paycheck every week never bi-weekly, even when I modeled it was back in the day with vouchers. And now did I get money every week? Yeah, I got money every week, mostly. Yeah. But then if I didn't work one week, I was like, oh, all right, I made more than enough money the week before, or I'm going to make more money next week, or I've got all these clients next week. But even that was a voucher system. Every Friday, I would go into New York models at 596 Broadway and it was carbon copy vouchers. And I'd give them the yellow copies. I'd keep the white, the client would get the pink. And that was how I got paid. And I was a good enough in demand enough model that I was advanced my money that not every model got advanced. So this idea of kind of you set your limits, you know, you are somewhat in control of like how much you can achieve or make, 
but it might it but it's not a steady flow that's going to always be so consistent that has served me so well in the pandemic that served me well before the pandemic because i know how to thrive in uncertainty but i wish i had learned that sooner so i didn't i didn't have that all along at all whatsoever <laughs> but i really wish i had because i think i would have had um different outcomes that's really powerful because i think thriving in uncertainty is in some ways part of the human condition right i mean it it serves all of us all the time because there is very little, I mean, change is the only constant. If you want to look at it that way, I'm not even doing it negative. So that's a great life skill for anyone is to thrive in uncertainty. But I think the only way we learn it is by living it. I want to go back to though, that just the mission with digital undivided, because how you leverage data and programs and advocacy, I think is really, really interesting. Again, as a takeaway for the audience, because I'm trying to, you know, connect these to like, what are some of the strategic building blocks you would advise someone? who, you know, anyone, or especially, you know, a black or Latinx woman who's an entrepreneur innovator, where do they start? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for black women and Latina women, um, people, data is important. I don't think it's something that everyone understands. Mm. Not everyone can read it, decipher it, analyze it, storytell around it. But also not everyone thinks that it is an essential piece to accomplishing goals. And I think, you know, in the marketing world, you're doing it all the time. So my marketing company, when I'm consulting, it's always about data. It's always about stats. It's always, um, you know, impressions, CPUs. It's, you know, what is it costing you to, to acquire a customer? What are the units? What are the sales? How much can you scale? Um, you know, you're looking at conversion rates. You're looking at all other data points. And I think that there are a lot of industries, a lot of, areas of conversation and exploration, whether that be societal, economic, product-based, that still require data to get the attention in order to get the outcomes that a lot of people want. And I think in order to have big, um, big, bold, audacious outcomes, you do need facts and figures that help paint a big, bold, audacious picture. So if somebody wants to achieve some outsized Tesla type vision, you can't do that without data. There's no way that you could have you know, a Tesla without giving data on carbon, the importance of carbon neutrality, what it's gonna do to the world, by what year, at what rate, what it's gonna cost in dollars, in human health, just quantifying the need. And I think that the more that we can quantify the needs and also quantify the success quantify the opportunity, the more people are interested. We can look at businesses founded and led by Black and Latina women. You know, I think a great example is, let's say Miele Organics, who got $100 million last year from Berkshire Hathaway. And everyone was like, what? For hair products founded by like a Latina woman? Like how, why? Uh, well, she had a story and she had data behind that story on her sales, on the size of the market, on how much it cost, cost her to acquire a customer on the lifetime value of that customer, on how often, what was the flywheel of that customer? Who else were they going to talk about her product to? And then all of a sudden you look up and you see bigger deals being made in this space where before that, without the data, especially when the dollars tend to come from a community or a subset of society that does not deeply understand what that product is, or they're not the customer for that product, 
if they're not the one who's wanting to buy what it is you're selling, how else are you going to tell a compelling narrative to get buy-in, to get capital, to get access, to move ahead your vision? You have to have data. You have to have something that paints. And data, data is an equalizer in many ways because data allows other people to quantify something that otherwise they would have no knowledge base around. And what people do have a lot of knowledge base around, I think we hear this in a lot of different ways. We hear it in hip hop songs all the time. It's like, okay, well, all money is green though. So, you know, things like this, when you are talking about return on investment to an investor, that's what they care about. That's the universal language that you can talk. Money, dollars, upside. But in order to do that successfully, you have to talk about data because sitting there talking about ingredients and who the customer is and why is not going to hit the same. So what is that What is that one overarching consistent theme? It's often data in every industry. We can look to healthcare, we can look to COVID and we can look to vaccines and we can look to booster shots. We can look to food, we can look to entertainment, we can look to travel, we can look at any and everything. In, in every industry, you need facts and figures, you need data in order to get access to the resources that you feel are required because how else do you prove that it's a need. And then how else do you prove what the ROI could be on fulfilling that need? And that's mm -hmm. what we do at Digital Undivided every single day. The only difference is that uh, our client, if you will, uh, are women of color and our product, if you will, is their business. And we put data behind what we see happening in the ecosystem every day for their immediate benefit but also to create a larger sea change within the ecosystem that makes not just entrepreneurs who are women of color, black and Latina women more successful, but that also helps to underscore how and why women of color are valuable as venture backable businesses um, and helping to, so the data has one thing, right? Our work alone can be helpful to women of color, but how are we then going to shift the perception of an investor or anyone else, a stakeholder who holds the keys to other doors that are not yet open, which means that they hold the access point to success. And that is what we, we work really hard every single day to break down those barriers and to make that a more transparent process. The information is not and should never be hidden. The data is not a secret. It's powerful, but it's powerful when harnessed and story told in the right ways to the right constituency. Wow, this is a total masterclass, Lauren. And mm -hmm. I love the takeaway note, circling back to how do we build? You just answered that question and delivering on that promise is, is step one that probably overlooked by so many people as you just explained, learn to analyze and interpret data because it's valuable and it's, the, and it's a universal language, incredible. Where can people find you? Because people need to find you in my audience and follow you and learn from you. Thank you so much. Uh, I am at Lauren Mylan on social media everywhere. So L-A-U-R-E-N-M-A-I-L-L-I-A-N uh, across social everywhere, laurenmylan.com. Yeah, I would love to hear from your audience and know how this episode and our conversation was helpful or thought-provoking to where they're at in their life, their career, their journey. And your newsletter, Yes. Yes, I have a newsletter. They can sign up on laurenmyland.com as well. Uh, and I also have a bi-weekly LinkedIn newsletter. I'm a LinkedIn influencer, so they can find me on LinkedIn and subscribe, follow, connect. Um, really, really excited to hear from 
more people. And I love hearing, I love listening, I love observing. And it's how I come up with new ideas and certainly how I keep my ear to the ground and where the light space exists. Mm, I adore you. And I want to thank you, everyone in the audience, for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in one-on-one -on -one training for you or your team, please shoot me a note and please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.